My name is James Gleason, and I want to welcome you to the weekend teaching ministry of Sunrise Church here in Hillsboro, Oregon. Now, Sunrise is a church devoted to being a safe place to hear a life-changing message. And our vision is to lead people in a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And so every weekend, we share a message of hope from God's Word, the Bible. Now, if you'd like to know more about discovering and growing in a relationship with the God who loves you, please take a moment to visit our website at www.isunrise.com. Now, from there, you can learn how to connect with the God who loves you. And you can learn how to grow with others along the journey of life. You can learn to develop a heart to serve the least, the last, and the lost. And finally, you can learn how to lead others to know Jesus Christ on this journey of disciples making disciples. And so now I invite you to follow along with our weekend message as you discover the heartbeat of God. Good morning. Welcome. Grab that last cup of coffee. That's just my saying because I wish I was there with you on the couch, snow outside, it's white out, and you have to listen to me, which is the only difficult part of this morning. But uh, I'm jealous, so grab that cup of coffee, grab whatever you're having for breakfast, keep the PJs on, um, and let's go into this uh, series we've been in. This is our sixth week in this series. Um, through the series of Believe. And basically, we're letting the gospel writer John take us through this journey of what it really means to believe that Jesus is the Son of God, the Savior of the world, the Messiah. And so that really puts the question on us as we go through this series is, what does it really mean to believe? What does it really mean? And I, I want to tackle this from a different vantage point this morning. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring out um, a slide here about the three essentials of faith. And uh, you're going to have to excuse me on my Latin this morning, but that's what we're using here is noticia, ascensus, and fiducia. And I put the English meaning of each word over here. And the reason I want to talk about these this morning is because the early church reformers thought that these three categories made up the essentials of faith. Because a lot of us go, what does it mean to believe? What is, what is faith? And so as we look at noticia, we're going, to meet, we're going to understand that that's the object of our faith. That's what these early church reformers, the object, which means Jesus Christ. And then as we get to the second one, we see a census, which means to ascend, which means we're ascending to the truth about Jesus. It means we believe the scriptures are true. We can't just notice Jesus, but we actually have to believe what the scriptures say about Jesus. And then finally, we get to, to, to fiducia here. And as we see this one, this is putting our trust in Jesus, fully committing belief, everything we do, trusting Jesus. And so you can kind of see how each one builds off the other, but all three are requirement to really see in our faith um, come to fruition. And so I want to take you through my story this morning, um, a little bit of my journey of coming to follow Jesus. So that way you can kind of see these come alive in me and maybe you can relate them to you as well. And so as you, one of the things that you'll notice about me, um, I got lots of puns this morning, so hang in there with me, um, is uh, I've, I've grown up in the church if you've been around long enough. 
Uh, hearing me speak, hearing me talk. I grew up in the Catholic church to be uh, more specific. I went through the sacraments. I grew up going to church every single day because it was my only way to get to my private school was to ride with my grandpa and go to daily masses. Um, And so church was a big deal. Jesus was a big deal for me and my family. Um, Easily very, very important. And so you can look at it and go, I noticed Jesus from an early age. I noticed him. I I knew about him, I read about him, I learned about him. Um, It was instilled into my life. Now, fast forward a couple years and we get to more of the ascend part of my faith. And I'd say this part of our faith, um, if you're like me, it can go in and out, in and out. And what I mean by that is we we ascend to Jesus in times where we most need Jesus, which is kind of an interesting uh, thought. But like our moments of despair is when we ascend to the truth of Jesus, that we go to the Bible and we read about Jesus and we see who he is and we believe that truth. And so this for me would happen um, when a girlfriend broke up with me, right? Or uh, I didn't make the college baseball team. And these moments of despair, these moments are lost relationship. And I would just go, man, God, I cannot make sense of this. I'm going to you because I believe you're true. I'm going to you. I believe what the scriptures say about you are true. I need help navigating the season. But if you're like me, um, which I think we all have a tendency is once the turbulence settle of a difficult time or we we get off the rumble strips, we all of a sudden go back to living in our own ability, our own performance, our own strength. And so that's why I'd say um, sometimes we can ascend to Jesus and we can descend just as fast um, because life has gotten easier. But what I really want to talk about is that permanent moment in my life when I truly ascended to Jesus. And that happened my, my senior year of college when depression and anxiety hit. It came on strong. It came on fast. I didn't know what to make of it. I didn't, I've never been here before. I think we've all had, uh, we understand weak moments. We understand bad days and bad weeks and, and even sometimes bad months. Uh, but this was a season that was unrelenting. And if you've been there, you know what I'm speaking to. You know what I'm talking about. And when I hit this season, there was nowhere to turn but on the foundation that was built in the noticia. And so I'd started to ascend to Jesus in a way that I never had before. I started to go to him and say, okay, I cannot get through this season by myself. I cannot make this, make it through this. I need you. I need you to show yourself as true. I need to believe the scriptures that say, don't worry about anything, but trust me. Trust that he's going to provide. Trust that he's going to show up. Trust that he's going to walk with me through this moment. And then finally, you get to fiducia, which is our last, last, last uh, element of the faith. And this is probably the one that most of us um, wrestle with or don't know how to necessarily possess it because it means a trusting faith. It means putting your life in the hands of Jesus, committing yourself, surrendering to him. And this moment in my life happened um, April 20th, 2013. I sat there in my college dorm room and my wife's like, hey, you know, you know Jesus and you, uh, you believe the truths about him, but you got to surrender your life to him. And so that's exactly what I did. And if you were around me and you knew me or anything about me, everything started to change in my life. 
And not because I was uh, trying to be this perfect Christian or follower of Jesus, but that something really started to happen in me, which was a new birth. A new creation was starting to come alive because I would put my trust in him. I made a decision. I stopped straddling the threshold of do I believe, do I not believe, how much do I believe, and I went in with both feet. And I think that's so important for us to understand today because we're going to enter into the story of Nicodemus and Jesus. And we're going to see these elements play out before us, which I, which I think is really, really cool to see because Jesus is spelling it out for us that even if we know, we may think we know Jesus, but do we really actually trust him? Do we actually believe in him? And so let's enter into the story today. Um, It says, there was a man named Nicodemus, a Jewish religious leader who was a Pharisee. After dark one evening, he came to speak with Jesus. Rabbi, he said, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. Now, I want to I just kind of break this text down for us a little bit, kind of help us understand some cultural things going on here. Uh, we got Nicodemus, who is a Pharisee. First off, so he has a zeal and an obedience to the Mosaic law, the 613 commands. He follows them religiously and he's expecting that of others. So, man, he's he's an expertise in the law. He is, he's an expert in the law. He's an expert in Jewish tradition. And more than that, he's a religious leader, which we come to realize that he's a part of the Sanhedrin Council, which is similar to like the Supreme Court for us today. They would rule on Jewish laws, Jewish traditions, anything civil, Jewish, civil, any of that stuff, they would rule on it. So he's a very influential man. He's done well for himself. That's who's coming. And we see that he comes in the night which I think is really important for us to understand because uh, the night could mean multiple things, but the gospel writer John is putting this here to help us understand kind of who the character we're dealing with is in Nicodemus. The fact that he's coming at night could mean a lot of things, but we get this idea that Nicodemus didn't want to be seen with Jesus because Jesus, a lot of Nicodemus's friends, fellow religious leaders, did not like Jesus, did not believe in Jesus. Jesus is a controversial figure at this point. As we found out last week, he just went in and cleared the temple from Pastor James. And so here we have Nicodemus approaching him in night, not to be seen. But another thing we catch about the word night is that it represents darkness, spiritual darkness, unbelief. And so what we catch in the story more than anything is that Nicodemus is really not a believer. He does not believe that Jesus is the son of God at this current moment. But what I love even most about this, I draw your attention to, is the fact that Nicodemus comes to Jesus. Like, I, I love that piece of it because we, we read through the gospel stories and we see so many people come to Jesus. Sick people, we see Jesus go to people. But in this moment, we have a religious leader, an expert And he's enamored by Jesus. He's intrigued by Jesus. He goes to Jesus at night. He's willing to risk his reputation to see Jesus, to ask him questions, to be in his presence, which I think is a really, really valuable thing to take in here at the level of interest that Nicodemus does have in Jesus. And so as we continue through this, I want, the statement he makes about it, Oops, stay, stay there. Thank you. Uh, the statement he makes, he says, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. And I, I just want to point that out because it's like he compliments Jesus. It's an edifying statement. It's really, really good. 
But what we see in that statement is he doesn't quite recognize the identity of who Jesus is. He doesn't get it all right. He actually misrecognizes him. And so here we have Nicodemus, an expert in religious law, an expert in Jewish religion. He actually doesn't quite recognize or misinterprets, misperceives Jesus as the son of God in this moment. He does not see him as that. He sees him as a rabbi that God is with. So now we can go to the next slide here and we can see this. It says, Jesus replied to him, I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, what's so great about this is that Nicodemus is really like soft and and cordial and polite and kind of butters up Jesus. And Jesus just kind of like comes in dagger like going for the jugular and says, hey, let me just be direct with you. Um, Unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. And the reason that this would have been such a um, big deal and the way that Nicodemus would have heard this was, hey, you aren't going to experience the kingdom of God, eternal life, basically, unless you're born again. And the, the, the predominant thought at the time was that all Jews would experience the kingdom of God, that all Jews would experience eternal life. Um, unless they were completely wicked and had totally disrespect, disregard for the law. They would all experience it. So you can see that Jesus is turning Nicodemus' world upside down right here with his first statement. And so he responds with, uh, he responds, what do you mean? That's Nicodemus. How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? That's how all of us would respond, right? It's like, if we haven't been around church, we, we don't know the, the born again language. It's like, what does born again even mean? There'll be people who say, I'm a born again Christian. And it's like, what does that really mean? And so when Nicodemus hears this, it's like us for the first time. It's like, how do you, when you're old, how do you become born again? And so this is Jesus's response back to him. He goes, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the spirit. Humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it wants, just as you can hear the wind, but can't tell where it comes from or where it is going. You can't explain how people are born of the spirit. I love this. I love this text because what we're seeing Jesus kind of get down to is the nitty gritty of being born again. When he's saying of water and and spirit, what he's saying is it's a new creation. It's a new creation. A new birth is taking place. And he differentiates between a human birth, a birth of flesh, and a spiritual birth of being born again, a new creation in Christ. And better yet, a lot of us, like our human minds want to want to wrestle with this and go, how does this, I don't understand, how does this happen? He goes, it's like the wind. You know, if we all watched the snow come down this past week, we all watched, you could see, you go out at night, I got street lights outside my house and you could see the wind blowing the snow down. I'm like, is it snowing? Yep, I can tell and I can see which way it's blowing. You know, we've got certain parts of our house that are frozen over, right, because the wind was blowing the freezing rain into it. You can see the effects of the wind. You can see what the wind is doing, but we don't know where it comes from or where it does. Now, science has brought us a long way since this was written, so we we know a little bit more, but the truth is is we don't know where it comes from or how it works if we're entering into Jesus' world. And he's saying it's the same with the Spirit of God. We don't, see, we don't know where it's coming from or how it's working necessarily, but we see the results of it when someone surrenders their life, when someone comes to a trusting faith in Jesus because life transformation starts to happen. We can see the effects of the Spirit. 
And so as we keep going through the passage, this is what Jesus says back to him. He says, Nicodemus goes, how are these things possible? Jesus replied, you are a respected Jewish teacher, and yet you don't understand these things. I assure you, we assure you, we tell you what we know and have seen, and yet you won't believe our testimony. What I, what I see most in this passage here is we see the skepticism in Nicodemus. We see him going, wait, 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 how are these things possible? This expert in religious law is, is actually has some skepticism, which can be the greatest barrier to our belief in who Jesus is. But Jesus kind of fires right back at him. And he goes with our next passage. He says, but if you don't believe me when I tell you about earthly things, how can you possibly believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ever gone to heaven and returned. But the Son of Man has come down from heaven. And as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. What is so powerful about this is is that Jesus is claiming his deity right here. He's saying, man, no one has ever gone to heaven and returned, but the son of man has come down from heaven. He's right in front of you, Nicodemus. The son of man has come down from heaven. He's claiming his deity. He's claiming he's the Messiah. This is a big, big moment. And then he takes us all the way back in history and Jewish and Jewish literature to the book of Numbers and the story of Moses and this bronze snake being lifted up on a pole. And the, what we would, if we know our history, which what it set, which goes on in this place is the fact that the Israelites had, had been released from Egypt and they're complaining that God has brought them out to a desert to die. And God goes, man, I, I released you from slavery and, and you're going to whine. So God sends snakes. And when these snakes bite the people, the people would die. So God instructs Moses to put, to kill a snake and put it up on a pole. And that if the people want to live after they are bitten by a snake, all they have to do is simply look to it and they'll be healed. And so Jesus is referencing the fact that, man, these people can be healed by looking to the snake. By simply looking and believing, the same thing will happen with the Son of Man. He's like, I'm the Son of Man, and I will be lifted up on a cross, and I will die for the sins of the world. And all you simply need to do is look to me and believe in my death, and you will be saved, and you will experience eternal life. Now, this is a really powerful story because Jesus is alluding, foreshadowing to what is, what what is going to take place and what will be required of, of people to experience eternal life is to be born again, to simply look to the cross and believe in it. But I think one of the things that is so troubling about the story is to think about who the story was written to. This story was written to most likely the church of Ephesus, which means it was written to believers. Yes, there was non-believers in the bunch, but it was written to believers. And we have Nicodemus in this story, and and there's some assumptions that we can make about Nicodemus. First off, and I said this already, Nicodemus thought he would recognize the Messiah, and he didn't. I'm hammering this point home because I think it's so important. I think it's so critical and crucial that Nicodemus, an expert in the religious law, Jewish tradition, member of the Sanhedrin court, this guy knows it all. He knows that how the scriptures point to the Messiah. He understands all these things. He knows them well. He's versed in them. So if anyone would recognize the Messiah, if anyone had a chance at him, 
we would think it's Nicodemus. Which looks at us, kind of puts, that, puts it back on us and goes, many of us go to church. We know the importance of church. We know the importance of prayer. We know the importance of reading our Bible. We know all these things. But do we know Jesus? Like, we know what it says about Jesus. We, we know all these. But would we recognize Jesus if he was right here in front of us? Many of us think we would. Many of us think we would recognize Jesus. But the truth that John's getting at is that Nicodemus, out of all people, should have recognized Jesus. Right? But he misperceived him, which puts it, on, puts it on us to go, would we really recognize Jesus, the Messiah, if he was right here? Can we see where Jesus is moving around us as a believer, as a follower? If we claim to believe, can we see where Jesus is moving and working in the people's lives around us? Now, we may say absolutely, yes, all these things, but I think more than ever, this is a great challenging season to go, man, would I really recognize Jesus if he was standing right in front of me? Would I really recognize him? I think another great point that's made is that Nicodemus thought he'd be included in the kingdom of God because of his Jewish heritage. Now, as I said earlier, it was assumed that all Jews would experience the kingdom of God. They would see the kingdom of God unless they're absolutely wicked, right? And I wonder how much of that can apply to today with us as Christians, as followers of Jesus. You know, you've grown up in the church your entire life, maybe, and you just assume that you're in. You assume you're in because you've grown up in the church. You're like, yeah, my parents are Christian, so I'm Christian. And so we think, oh, we're going to experience eternity because of that. Right? Maybe, maybe it's like you've, you come through the doors and you just kind of, you're like, I have good morals and good things. And I, and I, I notice Jesus. I see Jesus. So I'm going to claim that I'm a Christian. And you kind of go, hey, that's, I'm in. I'm in. And as we get to this story and we understand this, Jesus is turning Nicodemus's world upside down by saying, hey, hey, it's not about being Jewish. It's not about being being Christian, it's about putting your faith and belief and trust in Jesus. Don't miss that. So simple, but so profound. And lastly, which I think speaks to our culture today and many of us, is that Nicodemus thought he was included in the kingdom of God because of his morality. He thought he was in because of his morality, because good works. And Jesus, this is what Jesus says, right? He, he, he said this right off the get-go to Nicodemus. He says, unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. It levels the playing field for all of us. It levels the playing field at which we're working with and, and doing this. It's not about how good we are. It's not about our performance. It's about do, or have we been born again? Have we put our trust in Jesus? Have we surrendered ourselves, truly believed? I think a lot of us, not even us, but maybe even the, a world belief can be like, man, I'm, I'm just going to be a good person and that's how I'm going to live my life. And I guess if I end up in heaven or I end up in hell, that's, that's up to God. And I go, you're missing the point. And some of us think it's like, no, 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 I got I to gotta continue doing good deeds. I got to do this. That's how God's going to, that's, God will accept me if I do that. If I, if I serve people, if I get out and do enough things, if I do more good than bad in this world, if I say more sorries than I do bad in this world. And we start, we start 
putting this on ourselves as if it's up to us to enter the kingdom of God, as if it's up for us to do this. And the statement says, unless you're born again, unless you're born again. Man, I think that's, that's so powerful. That's so important to us to understand that it is not about our ability. It's not about our morality. It's not about being a good person, but it's simply about our belief that allows us to enter into the kingdom of heaven and experience God. So I want to go back now to what I started with, with these three words. Noticia, ascensus, and fiducia. That's what I want to go to. Because we see all of these at some point in the story addressed with Nicodemus. He noticed Jesus. He noticed him. Who didn't notice Jesus and all the miracles that Jesus is doing, right? And then he ascended to Jesus, to truth. That Jesus was more than a rabbi. He understood that that God was with him. He ascended to that fact. And then he was invited into a faith, to have faith in Jesus, his fiducia, to put his trust in Jesus. And we actually don't see if that happens or not fully in this story. This is, we see it played out right in front of us in the story. And here's what I want to say, to go back to my last point, is that Nicodemus is a good guy. He's a good guy. He's the kind of guy that, man, if you've got a daughter, you want him to come through the door with her. Like, that's the guy you want your daughter to bring home. He's influential. He's an expert. He's a really good guy. And yet, he's on the outside looking in because we're not sure where his trust is at in this moment. We're not sure if he's really put that trust in Jesus. And so I want to, I just want to close with this final um, verse and thought um, that really summarizes the gospel. And we all have heard it, but this is what Jesus says to Nicodemus. He says, for this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. You know, my wife and I have, uh, she made this comment to me the other day. And she goes, you know, I love, we got a little nine month old at home. And she goes, I love our daughter. I love her. Like, I can't imagine giving her up. I can't imagine doing that. And we're seeing her yesterday stand out there looking at the snow and she's up on both legs. And, you know, we're first time parents. We're just going crazy watching this unfold. And I'm just like, every moment's special. Every moment's a powerful moment. Every moment's like, man, I can't believe I get to be a dad. And then I think of this father in heaven who loves us so much. He's like, I'd give that. I would give that to be with you. I'd give that. And all we have to do is simply look to the cross and believe in the life and death and resurrection of Jesus, that God loves us. Many of us think that we got to be good or that we got to get our act together before we can come to God. And yet it says in here that God sent his son to the world, not to judge the world, not to judge us, but to save us, to save us. And there's only one way to be saved. 
And it's by being born again. It's by having that fiducia trust in Jesus as your savior. Being good will not get you to heaven. Being good will not get you eternity with God. Being good is not good enough. Jesus is. And I just want to challenge you and I want to encourage you to wherever you're at in this journey, like you may think you know God. You may think you know him, but information has to work its way from our head to our heart. It's 18 inches and it's the hardest distance for information to travel. It is because we know a lot of things up here. We acknowledge them. We, we can read about them, but for it to make it to our heart, to have that fiducia trust in Jesus is so difficult sometimes, but yet so easy. Because we look at the God that we're dealing with here, and he is a loving God. He is a careful God. He is so fragile with us. He knows what we need. He knows what we want. He knows what we're going through. He knows what we're experiencing in these moments, in this pandemic, the loss, the hurt, all those things. And he says, guys, I know, I know. But you got to trust me. You got to trust that I know what I'm doing. You got to trust that I know what I'm allowing. And I know it hurts and I know it's painful, but I'm asking you to put your trust in Jesus to just simply look and believe. And so I want to invite you into that moment right here and right now. And it's very simple. You just say these words and let God do the rest. And so... If you're out there, you close your eyes, bow your head, wherever you're at. You can be in your living room. You can be, um, man, watching this and on your bed, anywhere. And God can transform you. God can do this work of new creation in your soul. So pray these words. Lord, Jesus, I need you. I need you. I've noticed you. I've ascended to the truth of you that scripture is real. And now I I want a real faith, a fiducia faith in you. I believe in your death. I believe in your resurrection and I believe in the life that you've lived. And I want to surrender my life to you. I want to cross the threshold of straddling the middle of straddling it, but stepping fully in and trusting you and letting you change and transform me because I can't do this without you. I want to make you the king of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. If you say those words and you mean them, that's it. That's, that, you are born again. You're not going to be perfect. I'm not perfect, but you are going to be malleable to the hand of God. He is going to use you. He's going to advance his kingdom through you. You, You're not going to look at the commandments as commands. You're going to look at them as instructions to live your life that lead to life. And I just want to say welcome because you will see the kingdom of God, my friend. You will see the kingdom of God. I love you guys. Wherever you're at, I want to worship with you right now. Pastor Aaron's going to lead us in that. If you made that decision, please let us know. 
please let us know in the chat. Email us at pastors at isunrise.com. We want to walk with you. You can't do this alone. I couldn't. No one here in this room can. We may be separated by snow, but we are joined in the spirit right now. Don't walk this one alone. I love you.